Hey game friends, GM John here. After the Bomb, Pursuit of Knowledge is a crazy, furry, actual play role-playing game podcast that's set in a transgenetic post-apocalypse, and it may contain some themes and scenes that are disturbing or upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Specific content warnings for all Real Play Games podcast shows will be located below the episode description with each episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Game friends to the Real Play Games podcast, the podcast where I, your game master, John, run a bunch of tabletop games, some of them popular and some of them pretty obscure for my friends. With me, as always, are my first and foursome. We'll go ahead and start the introductions off with Rue. Hello, I'm Rue. I play Bly Moons, the cat. <laughs> he only needs one word to describe him. It's pretty apt. Yeah. <laughs> He's a very cat-like cat. And featuring Obi as the sweet and cuddly honey badger, Arlo. I'm Ames. I play Baranosi. She's the black bear mechanic who currently drives the vehicle we're all in. And I'm Harm. I play Liblet Thumblejump, a pack rat frog chimera, and the armor smith of the group. We're going to have to do a little bit of a recap. We had a pretty action-packed bit of an adventure last time. So with that, we're going to go to the psychopathic killer that the group ended up fighting in the last town they'd stopped in. Blood. All right, you know what, folks? We're actually going to go away from the psycho killer at this point, especially since he's currently (laughs) scattered across a fair amount of the city that they were in previously. I'll just go ahead and recap this one for you. When the fearsome foursome ended up traveling last, they ended up passing from Chesterton to the ruins of Middletown, Delaware, at which point they encountered a flock of very friendly pigeon people who were more than happy to try and offer them intoxicants and have them party with them. Surprisingly, the entire group decided to stay and party with the pigeons instead of pressing on to their objective. Once the group was asked to help locate a missing member of the pigeon party, They went out into the depths of the town only to find that two of the other pigeons who had moved away from the flock had ended up being viciously murdered and encountered an eight-foot-tall creature in the process of murdering yet another one of the pigeons. After an absolutely brutal fight, the academic underground members were successful but ended up having a lot of very depressed pigeons that they needed to shepherd back home to paradise, their ultimate target. You are currently (laughs) driving down the road with a very traumatized pigeon in your car and a couple of dead pigeon people bodies. I'm sitting in the turret away from everything. Liblet's going to be up in the turret too because she doesn't want to be next to the bodies. So if they can squeeze in and just kind of stare out into space, I guess. (laughs) You know, someone should sit with him. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, he doesn't look like he necessarily wants to talk to anybody. He's every once in a while he'll look over at his dead friends and start crying again. Oh god. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Liblet definitely wants to be up in the turret. Is there enough space for the both of them? Oh yeah, there's plenty of space. I mean, Liblet Liblet is pretty small and Bly is pretty small, so they could definitely fit inside the turret together. They're quietly playing a game of I Spy in the turret. <laughs> The most depressing game of I Spy ever. I Spy with my little eyes, something crying. <laughs> Is it chat? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as you're heading towards Paradise, after a short amount of time, the FM radio in the vehicle that's part of the radio setup that the vehicle has starts picking up a signal. And you can hear a pretty deep, croaky kind of voice on it. And it says, well... That was big lizard in my backyard by the dead milkman. Last time I had that situation, it was just my buddy Beatrice, and she left easy enough once she sobered up from the party we were having. We got some real hoo-hoo diddlies coming up next, but first, we gotta take care of some station business. The Palladium Sisters will be playing Wavelength tomorrow night with Turts McGirts and the Tingletones open up at 8 o'clock p.m. Make sure to get there early, because the place is gonna fill up. Two weeks from now is the start of Cardanian History Month, so make sure to get those decorations up and show your Cardanian pride. Blue Baby, dance with us on Band 3. Red Looney, we'll see you on Band 2. Coming up next, we've got Sad Feminine Voice reads number sequence accompanied by kazoo music, taped by Radley Fillmore from a station he found way out west. That's going to be followed by Hypersonic Sonata number 11 by avant-garde composer Batrachio. And we'll round out the hour with Laurie Anderson's Oh Superman. Remember, this is Be All Suave, playing you all the hits we can literally find right here on WAIL Whale Radio, your only home on the FM dial. All right, we're picking up something. Yeah, well. Is Blue Baby or Red Looney supposed to be us? Yes, you know from the documentation you received that you are actually Blue Baby. <laughs> okay. What does the code mean? You know from the code that there is a specified frequency that you need to get on to make contact with the academic underground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally knew that. <laughs> so, Arlo, go ahead and give me a radio check. Okay, so that's uh, 15, well under my 61. Wow, yeah, you you nailed the frequency. You finally figured out this setup that they're using in the car after this amount of time, and you get it dialed right into the frequency that you need. And you hear a voice on it says, Blue Baby! Blue Baby, you there? Copy! Copy, Blue Baby here. Oh, hey, Blue Baby! This is Grandma's house. You okay? Have some adventures, but we're all here in one piece. Okay, well, when you get in town, you, you go amalgamated tow service. The, the challenge response you say, you say to drive us mad. There'll be a question, that's what you say. To drive us mad? Yeah, you get to the tower service, say that. And the line goes dead. There's no more transmission on it. Radio courtesy is a lot different in the future. I, I know that someone you know would be screaming if they heard that radio etiquette. I, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, not a lot of ham enthusiasts survived either. That's all right. Now, you can see Paradise well before you actually get to it. There are a lot of larger buildings, and you can see off in the distance multicolored spotlights moving around one of the bigger buildings. The building itself actually has rainbow striping going up it, 
it looks like each level has a different color of the rainbow. It goes from red, orange, to yellow, going up towards the top of the building. Bara, you actually are aware of what this building is called. This is called Wavelength. It is the most popular nightclub in the entirety of Cardania. Have you seen anything so pretty? Let ass fly. Bunch of buildings. Oh, believe me, Bly, it's your kind of place. And as you're, <laughs> as you're getting closer, you see that more so than any other town that any of you have visited, this town is lit up. They have fairly abundant electrical power, especially to be powering all those spotlights that are moving around the building and everything like that. Now, when you pull into town, you do have to stop at an official Cardanian military checkpoint. Immediately, guns are leveled at you once they realize there's three dead bodies on the back of the vehicle. Lublik goes invisible in the turret. As do I. <laughs> yeah, and, and two people in the turret on this vehicle disappear all of a sudden. After a while, you manage to get the situation sorted out, especially because you have Chet there to talk about the situation. His friends, they're actually flying in behind you for the most part. Some of them even kind of skitched off of the back of your vehicle. So they managed to get the situation sorted after a while. But it's not until about one o'clock in the morning that you're released from custody of the combination of the Cardanian military and the Paradise Police Enforcement officers, who are all very concerned As you're leaving, you see a number of highly upset parents, some of them who are ushering children home, because these these were teenagers that you guys were hanging out with. (laughs) We're such good, good, uh... Well, several of the parents nonetheless thank you once the, the kids point you out to them. I mean, we did save their lives. Livla is clutching her tail to her chest tightly. These This many authority figures is quite frightening for her. <laughs> and once you're released, you can navigate through town. Ironically, because of how late it is, it makes it a lot easier for you to navigate through the city. It's still very vibrant at night, and there's a you can smell gasoline in the air as well as like the smell of booze and there's homes that are lit up with electricity, which a lot of you are very unfamiliar with. It's very exciting. A couple of bystanders hoot at your vehicle as you're going by. And one of them like slaps the side of it and says something really profane that I'm not going to repeat here. Or literally growls at him. (laughs) And when you finally pull up to the outside of amalgamated tow service, you can see there's a sign in front of it that says as much. This place has a massive chain-link fence surrounding it, as well as razor wire running all along the top of the fence, so it appears that they take security pretty important here. Although you can see a fairly bored-looking fox who's leaning on a rifle standing in front of the main portion of the gate and talking to a human while he smokes a cigarette. He turns and looks a little surprised when you come pull up in front of the gate. The only thing that the fox says to you is, but for what purpose was the earth formed? To drive us mad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. They part ways and they open up the gate after they pull a big padlock off of it and let you inside. Well, I will now become visible. The fox walks in with you as you're pulling inside. And as he kind of saunters up towards the window, he says, Yeah, just go ahead. You leave the keys inside of here. Take whatever you need out of here. We'll go ahead and get it all gassed back up. Make sure it's put away in storage for the night. Got it. They can be trusted with the motorcycle. Are these the people we were wanting to leave it with? 
the academic underground or these other people? You were contacted. This is where the academic underground told you to come. Who's the leader here? Do, do I know who the leader is here? The name of the leader of this area is uh, Sandre Barnard. But you see there's a bunch of garage stalls and there is also what appears to be like an office. This place from the outside looks like a tow company's office and garage area. There's a couple of tow trucks parked inside of here as well. Well, I go ahead and let them, you know, um, tell, you know, everyone grab your stuff and we'll leave it here for the night. He jerks a thumb towards the office. He says, Tammy, you'll get you situated. Great. Thank you. Sure. Okay, when we head over to the office and head inside, you can see as soon as you walk into the front door, sitting at a desk is a creature with glossy monotonal pink eyes and feelers that resemble a spiny mustache covering her upper lip. The entirety of her body, her forearms, shoulders, calves, and most of other areas on her body are covered in long, razor-sharp quills. Where she's not, there's like a blotchy grayish skin with like a whitish splotches running over top of it. She says, Oh, hello! I'm Tammy! Hi, Tammy. I'm Bara. Yeah, talk to, talk to you on the radio? Uh, uh, that'd that be was... me, uh, too. Oh, you got a nice voice! Thank you. She points to the we're open sign on the door and she says, You get it for me? Outside, no, we busy when side flip clothes. I'll flip it. As she gets up, you can see she's wearing it almost looks like a bed sheet, but it's kind of been made into a toga that wraps around the parts of her body that aren't covered in quills. And she's got a big belt made out of a big piece of kind of rusty chain wrapped around her waist, holding it in place. And she motions for all of you to head towards one of the doors that's back behind the desk area. She says, yeah, it's pretty boring over here, mostly. You come back down with me. You talk to Sandre. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So, so of course. And she leads you down a set of stairs. Uh, before we leave her office, are there any pencils or anything at the end of the desk? Pens? Yeah. Small items? Yeah. Lilith's going to hang to the back of the group and steal one of the pens. <laughs> okay. Nobody seems to notice. She puts it in her backpack and feels very pleased with herself. <laughs> uh, she, As you're led down the stairs, you realize pretty quickly that a normal office would not have a basement like this. You're led down into what looks more like a hallway than an actual basement level or anything like that. And you can see that it branches out. The hall runs down a couple hundred feet before it reaches a T-shaped intersection. And she says, Welcome to the basement! So big. Yeah, this is where we go to school and stuff. Cool. Nice. I went to school in a borough, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, she starts leading you past a bunch of doors and she says, We don't keep anything important out here. People break in, mostly just junks and traps in the rooms. And a couple of students try and break in. Well, a few of them died, but not a lot of them. That's the risk of breaking in where you're not ready to go. And she guides you down to the end of the hallway and takes you towards the left. She stops at the end of the next hallway that she takes you down and raps on a door that's marked number 14. And when the door opens, you can see a human sitting behind it. They have very dark skin 
and they've got dark dreadlocked hair that has like bits of yarn that are wound through it. They're wearing overalls, a flowered top underneath, but it's difficult to tell exactly what their gender is. You're, you're not really certain. And as the door opens, you can see them kind of look up at Tammy, who's leading you for a moment, say, Tammy, next time, could you make sure you call down first before you interrupt me? I've got a lot of papers down here. We have to send to the Cattle Sea Forward group. And finally notices that you guys are behind there and points at you, Bar, and says, Baranosi, right? Yes. Yes. Bar was going to say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and didn't know what to say. So she just said yes twice. Yeah, they kind of just skip the whole awkwardness of that. And they say, I need you. Your friends, Tammy, why don't you take the others down to the mess hall and make sure that they've had something to eat, okay? Food? It's been a while since they've eaten. Yeah, turning around to you, the big creature, about as tall as Bara, says, Yeah, we go get food! Come on! This is above my pay grade! Um, Liblet looks to Bara for permission to go. (laughs) She she nods. Already gone. Yeah, that's got to (laughs) work. It's good. She okay. keeps looking, Liblet keeps looking back over her shoulder, like to make sure that Barra's okay as they go, but she's also pretty excited for food. Well, as you're all being led off for food, we're going to focus on Barra for a few moments here. As you go into the office, Dr. Sandre motions towards the door and says, Please, if you wouldn't mind. And then heads towards a very large desk. There's a chair in front of the desk that's a scuffed big wooden chair, but it's got like a lot of green leather padding on it. Nobody else needs to hear what we're discussing in here right now. How was your trip? Eventful. I go ahead and fill them in on all the things that we found in the abandoned town or Chesterton. And, you know, quick summary of what happened when we ran into the pigeon partiers. You can see their eyes get wide as they're listening to this story. And they get a very somber look on their face, but it seems like they're thinking really hard about something. Finally, after a while, they say, you know, there's a reason that I argued with Julia about whether or not you should be on this mission. But I have to say, you're certainly making quite a showing of yourself so far. I need you to tell me, though, I don't particularly endorse or like freelancers joining the underground unless they've been tested. What are your thoughts about these freelancers that she hired on with you for your mission? I'm actually pretty comfortable with this group. They've got their strengths. They've got their weaknesses, but they've proven themselves to be quite useful. And I feel so far that they can be trusted. They look at you for a moment. Their dark eyes are very serious. And then they start pulling some paperwork off of the mounds of paperwork on their desk. And they say, I don't want you to follow the instructions that Julia gave you. And what is it you want me to do instead? Lancaster has to be the priority for the mission. But the fact of the matter is, we've already lost communication with one team out in Lancaster. We know it's a hot zone for numerous sorts of activity. It crosses an area that's traveled by the Roden Cartel fairly frequently. We've had reports of Empire of Humanity scouts in the area. It's a potentially very dangerous hot zone, and I'm not particularly interested in sending people to go die there. That being said... Both you and I have people that we're close to that are missing up there currently. They hand over a paper to you and you recognize it as the only other female member of your class when you were going to school at Cambridge University. Her name was Graciela Hernandez. She was actually a mutant cat. 
They're like, we had reliable intel that the area has enough infrastructure to support small-scale settlement and conversion into an outpost for the underground, and we deemed it an ideal site due to its distance from New Kennel in the Empire. If you would do so, I would ask that you restrict yourselves solely to exploring Lancaster at this point in time. We can get other teams in the future to go further afield, and if we have Lancaster as a staging base, it'll make things a lot easier. I'm not willing to commit to that yet, but I definitely hear what you're saying. And right now, Lancaster is my priority. Depending on what we find there, we'll be able to make a more informed call. They give you a hard stare for a moment and start scratching at their chin. They say, well, that's really all I can ask of you then, but you've already brought back these things. And I mean, we're going to be studying these for a while, especially that vehicle, the motorcycle that you brought. We've been working on trying to make satellite communications a thing that we can do here for about 20 years now. And this might bring us a step closer. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. I I honestly have a really hard time leaving it, but obviously I can't keep taking it with us. They get a bit of a mischievous look in their eye and they're like, do you, do you want to go play with it? Yes. <laughs> they get up from their desk and they're like, you know, communications is only one of my specialties. Since we have a fairly robust mechanics school here, I've learned quite a bit. So I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see this thing in the flesh as well. And as they lead you back up to the garages, we'll go ahead and head back to the rest of the group that's currently having themselves a time in the mess hall. She leads you into a very wide room that's got a number of wooden tables that have bench-like seats attached to them. And there's also a couple of freestanding round tables that have large wooden chairs that are very clearly made to accommodate much larger sitters than just like a human-sized chairs. In this area, in addition to the seating and everything, there's a sink that apparently has running water to it and a number of large rectangular appliances all lined up next to one another. And a machine that's got a bunch of buttons on it, most of them that have circular little red lights underneath of the buttons. Uh, but the sign on it reads Old Philly Soda, F-I-L-L-Y Soda. The old has an E with it. And it's got a really stylish white font on a blue background. There's smaller white wording underneath of the name that says, These Johns are stupid good. Like some machine. It, it tastes like old and dirt a little bit, like dust. Yeah, it seems to be a fairly old machine. And... Walking over to one of the big rectangular appliances, Tammy opens it up and you can see there's food just filling this box. And she Lulet's says, eyes are huge and her little hands go up in front of her chest and she just like hugs herself. Yeah, amazing. and she starts rooting through it. And she says, take what you want from the fridge if they have no name on it. Gotta respect power of name on food. <laughs> and she pulls out what looks like a little glass container that's got like a plastic film on the top of it. And then she goes to the drawers and starts pulling out a couple of cans. Are there any bugs visible? Yeah, I mean, you you can certainly go look in these. She just told you that you can go look in them. Yeah, yeah she's going to start looking. Um, Lubit's going to hold up something and go, does this have a name on it? <laughs> uh I'll look at it. it. It does not have a name on it, although uh, it is a sausage. She grabs something else out and holds it up. Does this have a name on it? She's going to do it until she gets to yeah. insects. Well, you can see Tammy 
pulls one of the quills off of her arm and uses it to start poking holes in one of the cans. Arlo can see on it that on the can is written spicy cucaracha. Yeah, it's <laughs> Billy's best spicy cucaracha is what the entire label says. I called it, Lilith said, oh, look at this, you might be interested. Tammy, for her part, she sees you pointing it out, and she holds the opened can over towards Liblet. They're really good. I like them. Liblet's going to give it a smell and then ask politely if she could have a taste. Liblet, when you smell it, it burns some of the hairs on the inside of your nose. These are a spicy cucarachas. Liblet likes spicy. They're delightful. They sting her big, long tongue all the way down into her gullet, but they're delicious. It hurts, but it'll go away. (laughs) You're all able to get yourselves a nice meal. You find Philly's best shredded chicken, which you're not sure why there's a can of shredded chicken here because it's illegal, but you find it tucked in the back of the refrigerator. It has no name on it. Oh, I didn't. It's a pull top can. (laughs) (laughs) I just grabbed the first chicken thing or one of the chicken uh, you, like, hunch over it and start just scooping it into your mouth once you get the lid off. <laughs> He's not the best. <laughs> and while you're eating and making small talk with Tammy, who seems to be very interested in you specifically, Lilith, she said, So what are you? I'm a frack rat. Oh! Like, what the heck? Um, I'm a pack rat and frog chimera. Oh! I chimera, too! Ooh, what are you? You see her lift her arm up and she kind of flexes it for a moment. One of the quills that's coming off of her arm shoots all the way across the room and skewers a fly that had been buzzing around near one of the trash cans. And she gives you a very self-satisfied look with her big bulbous pink eyes. She's like, pistol pine! Liblet claps her hands and like oohs and ahs over it. Because this is a giant person once again showing... Deadly skills. Liblet is jealous and odd. Not many of us anymore. You to touch, try to touch a quill to see if it hurts. Uh, like the tip of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredibly sharp. And she just, she pulls one off and she's like, You want it? Can I? Oh, she looks down at you. She thought Bly was trying to take one when he touched one of her quills, but she just hands it to you. Liblet holds it close. She puts it in the bag next to the Rod Rodman shirt. With all of her favorite things. That shirt is going to have so many fine needle holes in it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She doesn't know how to wear it anyway. (laughs) We'll go ahead and wrap the end of the night. You're all led to a series of bunk rooms once you've all eaten and or alternately spent some time messing around with a motorcycle. Sandre does manage to get the motorcycle working in manual drive. Liblet will not be able to go to sleep until she knows where Bara is. <laughs> well, the, you'll be led there once they get down there as well. Okay. But uh, Bara, yeah, Sandre says, well, I mean, you found it. So obviously I've got to let you have first drive on it. Thank Ooh. you. <laughs> yeah. This thing rips. Once you get into manual drive, you realize it's got an electric battery on it thousand mile per charge and it can hit 160 miles per hour before you start getting a little off balance on it like you just rip donuts in the parking lot for a while yeah (laughs) 
They also discovered it has an extensive catalog of music on it. They are clearly much better versed in computers than you are because they find several menus that you weren't even able to access. One of them has a list of over 500 songs on it. Nice. And they look at you as they're bringing you back down to the area where you'll all be able to rest for the evening. And they say, you do realize that that just about doubles the catalog that we have for the radio station as well, correct? I, I, I hate to say it, but this is kind of the find of the century. Yes, once, once I've written to some of the directors about this, I would fully anticipate that you might end up getting yourself stationed somewhere very exciting. Uh, this is something that a lot of people are going to be very, very excited by. I like to imagine while she's having that conversation there in the cafeteria, trying to get her to like shoot needles through like apples and oh, <laughs> Can you yeah. shoot it off my head. Tammy <laughs> is Tammy is more than happy to do some William Tell tricks with you folks in the, in the cafeteria. She knows she's <laughs> technically not supposed to, but she gets carried away sometimes. Yes. Oh, so does Livlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and as she talks to you, she explains that pistol pines are a combination of pistol shrimp and porcupines. That's so cool. So they, they are actually able to launch all of their quills if they need to, to protect themselves. Well, I was thinking Marine. I thought I was thinking sea urchin. <laughs> That's what I was thinking at first too. <laughs> no, I think neurotoxin porcupine would be a, a, a completely different level of horrifying than just porcupine. <laughs> I would have quills. <laughs> I would have regretted touching her. <laughs> <laughs> But eventually, Bara is brought to the same kind of communal sleeping area that you folks are relaxing in. It's more like a living room slash sleeping area. Why? Uh, is everything that? is underground. The reason that they, you find out the reason that they call this place the basement is because it's, as far as the underground is concerned, the model of what they want things to be, which is literal underground facilities. Is Arlo more comfortable here because it's underground? Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Bly? Bly has taken some catnip. Oh, he's fine. Curled around his dynamites. <laughs> <laughs> and before they leave, Sandre looks at the group of you, uh, gives a bit of a dirty look over at Bly, <laughs> uh, but says, we're going to be making some modifications to your vehicle. If we're sending you out in the field like that, I don't feel comfortable without you having at least a little bit of ordnance on it. So we've decided to we're going to break out one of the 50 calibers and have it mounted on the pintle for you. Perfect. Fly's room's getting an upgrade. <laughs> and they say, we'll talk more in the morning. And they leave you folks to catch back up and get a good night's sleep. Oh, and if you think that Livlet's not telling Bara everything that has happened since they parted ways, <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. This heavy purring from Bly. Just... <laughs> Bara goes ahead and shares with Livlet that she was sorely tempted to just take the motorcycle and really open it up. Yeah. Livlet supports that idea. It beats so fast, like faster than running. Faster than Very. the van. <laughs> Very. Although Livlet can't really conceive of faster than the van. <laughs> I even talk about the fridge box because I know how to how we to keep things pretty cool in a root cellar, but that's much better. 
The only person that would probably have encountered one of those at any point in time, and probably a much smaller version of that, would have been Bara. So, <laughs> Liblet shows her the spines from the pistol pine. Yeah, I would a blind would have kept a spine probably. Just a, it was cool. I mean, they were William telling it, so I'm sure they all got some. Oh yeah, T- Tammy wouldn't have cared if you guys asked to keep them afterwards. It's oh not yeah, like Liblet would have do anything with them. Lilith would have gotten an extra one so Bara could have one too because they all have matching spines now. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So you folks finally managed to get to sleep and you don't wake up till fairly late in the morning the next day. You can see there's a wall clock. Looks like a battery-powered one inside of the little room and it looks like about 10 o'clock by the time you end up getting up. You head to the mass and get yourselves another meal before Sandre comes back down and leads you back up to the garage. It looks like over the course of the evening, they also did a little bit of reinforcing on the vehicle. There's some armor plating that's been put in a couple areas. As they go over the modifications that have been made, they say, we managed to get three gallons of gasoline and get it put into the tank as well. I know it's a pretty hard thing to come around here, but Fortunately, the city maintains a small garden that has a number of gasoline plants inside of it. Liblet pets the car, because that's how you make cars run good. (laughs) How many more miles have we used, or how many total have we used and now added in? At this point, it looks like, especially because of the refill that you've gotten, it looks like you're pretty close to having almost a full tank. You would wager you could probably go at least 360 to 380 miles off of what you're running on currently. Between getting dropped off on the barge and taking the relatively economical route that you did to get there, because you actually took the shortest trip possible to get up to Paradise. How Um, far away is Lancaster? The truck and inspect the, the gun right through the gun now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that it, it looks relatively old, but there is a 50 caliber machine gun, a light machine gun that's been mounted onto the front of the turret. Liblet licks it. <laughs> Liblet licks a lot of things. <laughs> it's one of her ways of exploring the world. Your um, estimate I- on how long it would take to get to Lancaster from where you're located is roughly 50, 60 miles. Oh, wow. So we're, and how much miles do we have? You uh, you haven't, you were originally being sent out to do a big loop, which would have taken you much farther. It looks like there may be some conflict within the underground as far as what they want you to do. But yeah, you, you now have enough gas that you know you could easily make the entirety of the loop trip and all the way back to Cambridge with probably 100 miles left in the tank. I think in Liblet's eyes, this is still kind of a rescue mission because there's people that are lost out there and they're being sent to find them. Then she thinks they're going to be found. So he pretty much thinks they're going to go there and come back because if you find people, they're going to need to come back and get help. So for her, she's like three, three plus whatever gas is. Okay, cool. We're fine. So she's happy. (laughs) (laughs) Sandre, for their part, looks relatively concerned, but they say, well, at this point, I at least know that you've got enough equipment that you shouldn't have too much of a problem if it's a relatively short run. And they say, yeah. now, you would, of course, like me to keep the bike safe here, right? <laughs> yes, unfortunately, that is that is what we need to do. Yeah, they're around 5'8", five, 5'9", five, so they can actually reach up fairly easy and pat you on the shoulder. <laughs> and they're like, I understand, and I'll only drive it a little bit while you're gone. 
I couldn't dream of asking you not to. Too wonderful. (laughs) They also load you guys up with a a couple of bags worth of canned food. Canned food, again, something of a novelty to the three of you that aren't members of the academic underground. You probably haven't seen it very often. Most of it all seems to come from the same source, which is Philly's Best. Liblet thanks, um, thanks them a lot because they've been very, very kind from everything Liblet's seen. They offered food, they offered shelter, they offered to protect the car. They're very nice to Bara. Like, yeah. And of course, besides the bike, we're leaving all the other. Oh, oh, absolutely. We're taking the machete, though. Yes. <laughs> oh, which can I do like a. Oh, I can do recognize uh, weapon quality or something oh, on that. Yeah, I can do that too. <laughs> I should have. Can I have helped fix some armor last night? I should have thought about that as well. Yeah, yeah. you can make an armor smithing check or an armor check, and you can make a recognized weapon quality check. Yeah, go ahead and try that. I'm sure between the the several of you that possess that skill, you can figure it out. Okay, Bara and Y both need armor fixed, right? Yeah. Sounds right. I got 33 out of my 30. So didn't okay. get my check. Go ahead, especially since you're working with Bly to figure it out. Roll that again and see if you can take the better of the two. Who has the most damage to their armor? Uh, I think Bly. 11. Okay, with an 11, you realize the reason, because this thing uh, does not have any blood stains on it, despite the massive amount of blood that had been on it previously. This machete must have been made probably a year or two before the crash happened. You see, it's got a little button on it, and when you press it, it hums lightly. Do I know anything about that, or why, or or do any of us? For that, give me a mechanical engineering check. I got a 32 to fix Fly's armor. Okay, so you're, you're able to repair, I believe, up to 30% of its SDC. He's wearing okay. spider silk armor, so that's, I believe, 120 SDC. So it'd be, you could repair up to 36. Um, that was a 39 out of 65 for the... Okay, you can tell that when the button is pressed, it appears to have, like, a very low-level power source inside of here that when you press the button, it makes an infrasonic frequency that causes the blade to clean itself. Oh, that's so cool. Nice. Who would be best to have this weapon, guys? Anybody, uh, for the machete, the size it is, it would count as WP swords. Not me. Not me. (laughs) None of us have it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. We don't need it. I guess we can leave that with the underground as well. And repairing that armor took you three hours. Okay, um, should I also try and repair Barra's? It's not a bad idea, especially it's fairly easy to get the raw materials for it. You're in a big city. What's the max on the spider silk armor? Uh, 120, I believe. I've got 126 on mine. Oh, then it... Uh, I got spider silk and it's 150. Okay, 150, I'm sorry. Then yes, please, I'd love a repair if possible. As usual, when... (laughs) Liblet tries to help Bara. I got a 71, and my armorsmith is a 50. Okay. So, Bara, you, you. you see her trying to fix your armor, but it's just so much bigger than hers. 
she doesn't understand like the scope of how to fix it properly. So it's really just kind of a patch over it that falls off pretty quickly. It's just it's so big. And his armor was like my size and yours is just so much. It's like five of us. Side of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just... <laughs> I, I gently, very, very gently pat her on the head and tell her she did a good job. It's fine. Lilith doesn't believe you this time. She <laughs> knows what she did wrong. <laughs> she cries a little. And trying to fix that took up another two hours worth of time. So at this point, it's around three in the afternoon. She's just tired and sad. <laughs> I don't think we need to stay any longer, do we? Arlo, did you pick up some slug shot while she yeah. was busy fixing it? Can yeah, I, also... I went to check that out. Yeah, you would you would have been able to get bullets. Livlet wants to buy more materials so she can try again tonight with the <laughs> armor. She really wants to fix Farah's armor. Okay, let's say 30 bucks is how much Livlet needs to get the excess materials. Correct. Obi, you said that uh, Arlo was looking for solid slugs? Yeah, yeah. You can you can get those. You don't even end up having to leave the compound for that. They can for a donation to the academic underground. They're more than happy to keep one of their freelancers and bullets. Is donation just monetary or like I have a book? Yeah, no. But, hey, they're happy to take the book, and you know what? They knock off ten bucks from the total. So it's it's whatever the bullets would normally be minus ten bucks because you know donation makes this nation run. <laughs> While he's like having fun, just messing with the the new. By the time you, I mean, at this point, you probably would have gone down to the mess to have another meal in between fixing up the armor and everything. Showing off the refrigerators to Bara. <laughs> <laughs> there are red circles, right? Somewhere. Actually, Sandre shows you folks how to work that. Uh, they insert two bucks into the machine. They push one of the buttons, and a can comes out. Yes, and they pull the tab on the top of the can and start drinking from it. And then they look at you and they say, it's it's called soda. So do you eat the machine's babies? <laughs> and they start laughing when you ask that. Lola doesn't seem oh, upset, just curious. They manage to swallow their drink and they say, no, no, this is this just dispenses drinks. I pull out my like $400 in cash. <laughs> it's like crumpled and gross. <laughs> Kept in your meat sack. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm gonna try to get one <laughs> okay you, it takes a couple of tries because your crumpled gross bucks don't go into the little receiver on it properly you end up having to take one of them and like rub it against the side of the machine to straighten it out like, um, maybe but, it doesn't like blood <laughs> it's a green eater obviously it's vegetarian but finally uh, it does accept your money and there are four different choices on this machine there is Old Philly's Best Slammin' Birch Beer. There is Old Philly's Best Slammin' Diet Birch Beer. There is Old Philly's Best Grape Soda. Um, are there pictures? Because Bly and I can't read. Yeah. Uh, there are <laughs> pictures. Uh, one, one is a white tree. One is a white tree but cut in half. One of them is a pickle. <laughs> And one of them is some kind of a fruit. A purple fruit. I want the pickle. I want the pickle. 
Bar is a carnivore, but she's interested and wants to try it anyway. Yeah, Libla thinks that's what they're made out of. So she's like, oh, there's no bugs. Darn it. <laughs> so which one are you getting? Pickle. Okay, a green, a, like a, a violently green can comes out of this machine. And as you pop the tab on the can open, it's got the sweet smell of carbonated sugared brine. <laughs> I just smell it. Yeah, and it called Bara. You can see on the label that this is Old Philly's best guaranteed genuine pickle aid. <laughs> and you can tell there is an actual pickle on the inside of the can as well. That's what helps keep the, the, the pickle aid's flavor in. That sounds amazing. I really want to try that in real life, but Bly would not would not be happy with it. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like bubbly pickle water with sugar in it. Can I smell? I, I uh, go ahead and take the pickle aid off Bly and give him a couple bucks and tell him, try, try the tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the tree is much better. It's, uh, again, as it's explained to you, the and Birch beer tastes kind of like, and this is out of character, Birch beer tastes somewhat like root beer, but infinitely better. Yeah, because it's made from birch trees instead of yeah. other trees. <laughs> beer trees. Yes, oh, where no. root beer comes from. Comes right from the root of the beer tree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know what tree makes root beer, so now I feel like a dumb dog. <laughs> I have no idea. Tree does the root does, right? Yes. Yeah, but that one is it's much more refreshing uh, for Bly than the pickle soda. Yeah. How does Bara like the pickle soda? Delicious. We're crisp. Refreshing. It's the sassafras tree. And finally, uh, you folks are able to make your exit from paradise, as it were. Then we'll head on towards Lancaster. All right. Well, you load up. You get ready. You head out. Uh, the trip itself, it's its going to take a little bit because as you pull away from Paradise, you notice, especially as you start heading towards the northwest, the roads are jacked up. There are huge chunks missing. There are large obstructions that you frequently have to stop and move. It looks like infrastructure has not been a huge priority outside of building up the actual city itself and having traffic directed more towards the northeast where you folks know the city-state of Philly exists. They make good pickle soda. <laughs> the, only the finest pickle soda comes from <laughs> old Philly's best. So as you folks start heading uh, towards Lancaster, as it's starting, the sun's starting to get to the point where it's going to begin to get a little bit lower as far as the day goes. And you head towards what looks like a fairly beaten up town you passed a bunch of farmsteads and things like that going through the area but you can see a figure that's wearing some kind of like hooded cloak running away from what looks like a cloud of insects each one appears to be about a, a foot long big black furry bodies it looks like this person is being chased by a swarm of flies oh how far away are they from us? At that, the point where you notice where they're actually located, they're a couple hundred feet away from you, uh, but you could get there fairly quickly in, in the truck that you guys are in if you head towards them. 
we have to help them. Yeah, I'll go ahead and adjust courses needed to head that way. Yeah, and, and you see them as they're running backwards. It looks like they have a pistol in their hands and they're firing it at these things before they just kind of throw it away. And they reach down and pull off like they've got a loop on their belt outside of the cloak and they've got a baseball bat hanging from it. So they pull the bat out from the loop. Does it look like they can get to us before the swarm gets to them? No, it looks like they're going to get hit by at least a little bit of the swarm first. It would take you roughly an action's worth of time to get over there in the vehicle. How big is the swarm? It looks like there are at least three dozen of these flies chasing after this person. And how big are the flies? Again, about the size of a basketball. I shoot can we sh- Yeah, can we shoot? Yeah. You can. I mean, you do now have a pintle-mounted 50 caliber machine gun on top of your truck. Oh, how many rounds do we have for that? You can see that there are two relatively large cases that have been placed inside of the turret. Each one looks like it holds about 250 rounds. Is that 50 round? Isn't that a little overkill, do you guys think? Will we want that for something bigger? Should we throw a stick of dynamite at the flies? Probably not safely. (laughs) Yeah, you have to have a hell of a throwing arm to get that. I think Farah might be the only person strong enough to even try. Yeah. Well, I'm loading in the sand shot. Can we drive through the swarm? You can. It's not going to be, you know, the best thing for your vehicle because it will be hitting things. And the, the, the glass. Yeah. I'm okay, just working on getting us close enough that y'all can start shooting. Yeah, we'll yeah. shoot. Yep. Let's okay. just get close enough to shoot. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, if you can get past the person so that we're not shooting at them. Well, as you gun the engine and start hurtling towards this person, you can see the cloak figure turns and kind of looks in your direction for a moment and then backs up a little bit more and just starts throwing kicks at these flies that are coming after them. None of you have ever seen someone kick this fast in your entire life. You're barely able to follow the motions that their legs are making. Uh, Three of the flies that are in front of this person, you can see them trying to avoid it as they're lashing out at them, but they just explode in the air as this person starts fighting back a little bit more. At this point, you manage to pull the car up about maybe 100 feet away from where this is going on. And now everybody rolls for initiative. You can see several of the flies starting to land on this person, by the way. I rolled a nat 20. Me too. Gosh, I hope we get more of those. And not for initiative. I got a 19. Oh my god. What? (laughs) Got an eleven. Wait a minute. I don't. What am I initial? I got a nine. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't add anything. I think that's like one of the only times you haven't gone first. <laughs> now I feel like I need to get to the person to help him fight him off. We're within shotgun range, right? Uh, you're uh, again about a hundred feet away, so that's a little far for a shotgun. You couldn't have pulled us up to shotgun range, Farah. <laughs> Can well, they make we... us walk in for exercise? 
don't you see the big thing in front of the car <laughs> we do not want to run over? Obi, Harm, which one of you has a higher PP? Physical prowess. You got a 16. Just one more than mine. <laughs> okay, Ooh. so Liblet, you will just barely be going before Obi. Before I'm going Arlo. to move up so I can shoot at it. Okay, so you just want to start hopping towards them? Wait, can I shoot a, an arrow instead? Yeah. And reach them? Yes. Could I shoot an explosive crossbow bolt and not hit the guy? You could. There's a big cluster of them, so it's like a cloud of flies coming after him. So if you shot at the tail end... Yeah, I want to shoot at the, the end not near him. Okay. I don't get any bonuses to my rolls when I'm attacking, do I? Not with your crossbow, no. Ooh, I rolled a 19. Wow. You draw a bead on one specific fly in the bunch and send your explosive crossbow bolt flying across the distance between you and it. When you hit it, it and several other flies, well, roll for damage first. Oh. Um, I got a 13. Okay, there's a twang, and then boom in the distance is this bolt skewers one of the flies and blows it out of the air. You can see like damages a couple of the other ones as it blasts a little hole inside of this big swarm of flies. All right. I just need to get about 30 feet closer. No, you, well, I mean, how long's your uh, shotgun go? This one's, it says 70. Oh, okay. Yeah. About 30 feet then. Does that be three actions for you to run that far? Okay. I can't think of anything better because the shotgun is probably the best. I have zero ranged weapons. Yeah, so. you, I mean, you, <laughs> you still kind of have the vehicle idling right now. <laughs> yeah. um, if I can continue moving forward, I will. If okay, there's... you're going to have to go a lot. Give me a pilot truck check just to make sure you don't get yourself into a little trouble as you're driving it up slowly towards this. And Arlo, we'll say you can hop back onto like the driver's side and hold on to it long enough to get a little boost from this. Uh, 23. Okay, yeah, you just give a love tap on the gas, roll about 60 more feet or so. That way Arlo can get it close enough to make a shot next action. Nice. Thank you. And you see the figure that's holding the baseball bat and trying to fight back this wave of them. They start thrashing and trying to knock the ones that are on them off. And then they just start throwing more kicks. They kick the ones that were on them to death, but then they roll and try to back away from these flies as they start pouring towards them further. And the flies start splitting up now that they've noticed that they have multiple targets in the area. Unfortunately, they can, only one of them can get close enough to do anything to any of you folks. Arlo, since you're hanging off the side of the truck, one of them starts flying directly towards you. Wow. And slams into the front of the truck. <laughs> you're not going fast enough to cause any damage to it. It just kind of bounces off and goes... <laughs> All right, Bly is going to, he already, he's, he, he's going to grab his bow and shoot at them. That is a 16, oh, 18. And you're just firing a regular arrow, right? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, you skewer one. That is nine damage. Nine damage. You you shoot it through one of its wings and it goes spiraling to the ground. It cannot fly anymore, so it's kind of just stuck walking around. How many are there left? Oh, uh, there's still? there's a cloud. You're you're guessing at least two dozen. Are we close enough? I can use my shotgun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll do a buckshot shot towards the back of the group again to try and avoid the guy. Okay, so you fire a cloud of pellets towards them. Go ahead and give me that attack roll. 17? Yeah, wow. Let's see if any of them get out of the way of that buckshot. No. Yeah, you rip through some more of them as your shotgun goes off. Uh, Seven damage. Okay, yeah, you definitely hit a couple of them, and the cloud is starting to disperse further. It definitely looks like these things are losing their appetite for just going after this one person. I take aim with my three barrels. What does 10 do? I mean, it hits. Oh, okay. It's a big cloud. It's easy to hit, isn't it? (laughs) Seven damage. Okay, your shot rips right into the ones that Liblet had just shot before and sends a couple of them sprawling to the ground immobile. This cloud is starting to disperse. You can see some of them like breaking away and getting out of there before anything bad happens. Um, are there some of them haven't left though, right? They're not right. There's there's still a there. fair amount left. You're thinking like maybe two dozen tops now. You're definitely whittling through them. Okay, I'll go ahead and jump out and head over there with with my axe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can you can hop out and get the one that had just gone af- after uh, Arlo. Yeah, I'll do that, since that's close. I mean, an axe is basically a big fly swatter if you hold it the right way, right? <laughs> Sideways. I can't tell which number is up. That's, that's only a seven total. Damn. It manages to get out of the way. It, it skitters across the ground. And then we go to uh, the the figure with the baseball bat. Feeling emboldened, they start swinging the bat around more instead of doing kicks, and they crush two of these things out of the sky with it before they start backing up again. And now it's the fly's turn. Borrow one's coming after you now, and this cloud is dispersing. Wow, Borrow. It it comes after you, and you just kind of put your (laughs) axe out and it runs into the end of it and bounces off of it. These things are not smart. It rolled a two on its attack roll. You can see the figure carrying the bat manages to get out of the way of two of them. They, like, leap into a set of bushes nearby and, like, disappear. Wow, she fast. Uh, seeing that we are handling the ones near us, I'm going to shoot at the ones near the other person. My bow. Oh, no. No, 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 no. That is a one? Oh, no. So I'm going to roll see something here real quick. It's a mechanical bow. Yeah, roll for your damage. Oh, no. It's going to be like, you said no one would kill me but you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 11. Yeah, from the bushes you hear, Oh, Mierda! Oh, no. We're sorry. I, I, I yell sorry and, and, 
and telepathically. <laughs> How many out there? They're dispersing now. There's only about a dozen left, so. I guess I'll fire another box shot. Ah, a five. I miss. A five total? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the, with them spreading out a bit, you kind of take your moment and aim, and just as you aim and start firing, the, they all kind of fly in the opposite direction, so your buckshot cloud just goes off into the distance. I'm so scared that if Fly could shoot that guy, I could shoot that guy. <laughs> so I'm hesitating. Do I actually have to take an action to reload? To reload? Uh, reloading your gun, all the barrels, takes a full round. Uh, Did you shoot all three barrels? No. <laughs> I'll shoot another barrel. Might as well have shot all the barrels. I got a five. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Your cloud of buckshot follows directly after Liblet's cloud of buckshot off into the distance. Is that one that went after Obi's still right there? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, or- it's on the ground, and you'd swear it's giving you, like, hate eyes. I totally rolled my percentage dice, and I was like, I don't know how to interpret that. Yeah, because it's a wrong <laughs> die. Okay, 15. Okay, yeah, it doesn't even try to avoid it. It's just looking up at you and looks like it wants a piece of you and then realizes shortly before you probably split it in half. 29 damage. It explodes. <laughs> it showers you in fly gore. You see from the bushes a figure rolls out of them and there's an arrow sticking out of one of their thighs. And they come swinging up from behind a couple of the flies and mash another one with the baseball bat that they've got. At this point, (laughs) the flies start breaking off and starting to fly away. Clearly, they had not anticipated one lone traveler would become multiple things trying to assail them. So we're done with the fight? Uh, yeah, the fight, is, it's pretty much wrapping up at this point, unless you want to bag yourself some extra dinner. I mean, Liblet's going to go in anything on the ground. She's going to... I want to shoot one that's flying away. Oh, trying to redeem yourself? Yes. But if you miss it, you're only going to be more humiliated. I know. <laughs> I have to do something. No pressure. That's 14, so 16, right? Yeah. Yeah, you as as one's flying away, you shoot it right in its little fly butt and skewer it. Uh, nine damage. Oh yeah. Yeah, right through its abdomen. Look, it's like that was a good shot. You can see the figure that's got the arrow sticking out of their leg <laughs> reaches up and pulls the hood off of the cloak that they're wearing. And when the hood comes down, you can see it's the face of an opossum with a big smile on it. Although it's a little pained at the moment. He says, well, bonjour, there, folks. Nice to meet some friendly people out in these part of the woods. Do you need help with your leg? <laughs> Looking down at the arrow, he just laughs for a moment. He reaches down and pulls it right out with one quick jerk. He's like, I ain't worse than that before, Shan. Don't worry about it. I got to thank you, folks. You saved my high back there. Otherwise, I'd have probably gotten eaten all up by them flizzy flies. You were kicking really fast. You might have been okay. You will. I mean, kicking is one thing I do especially, but oh, I, I have forgotten my introduction, though. The name is Piero. Look like curtsies if he bows. I mean, not well, because she's not wearing a dress and her body's not really made for that kind of acrobatic maneuver, but she tries. Yeah, and he he slides the baseball bat back through the loop that's on his hip 
You can see now that like the cloak kind of opens up a little bit more that he's just wearing a pair of pants and he has like wristbands uh, with little like trails coming off of them wrapped around his forearms and his uh, wrists. Quick, quick question. How many of our characters are wearing any clothing? Uh, Bara is. What is Hello that? is. Libla is completely naked. <laughs> fur, so why would I need clothing? Yeah, exactly. So I have Pockets. like ears, <laughs> has clothes, and why does just have none? <laughs> and do people think they're naked, or are they like that's cool? I guess. Do you? I mean, nothing's visible. Okay, yeah. we're gonna take we're gonna take a sidetrack for me in introducing this great new NPC to explain a little bit on the whole situation <laughs> about clothing and after the bomb. NPC wears clothes and Liblet doesn't. Is she create no. like making a faux pas? My personal take on this matter as the game master is thus: if you do not have external genitalia showing. Most species are pretty content to not concern themselves that much with whether or not you're wearing clothing. Udders. Considered external genitalia. A lot of bovines are upset by that and find it demeaning because that's how they feed their babies. I mean, that's how all mammals... Understandable, yes. Except for kangaroos, I guess. They have kind of internal... They have have a... It's kangaroos are marsupials. But that's yeah, in, in the pouch, but it's outside the body. But it's inside the pouch, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a weird area. I mean, because I guess they wouldn't have to wear clothes. They'd be the only ones that wouldn't of true mammals. And do they when they're more humanoid shaped, they do they have breasts or are they just a still small little <laughs> the breasts are in the pouch. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm going to tell you something right now. When we eventually end up digging down into Mutants Down Under, the source book for After the Bomb that specifically deals with Australia, the answers to that question and more will be revealed. (laughs) (laughs) Your pelvic boobs. But no, I do actually have travel clothing. Or uh, simple clothing. So I I am wearing clothing. It doesn't. She has clothes. And what she considers to be a full set of clothing. Um, but she doesn't wear it. She, she has the shirt from the one guy. Yeah, she has <laughs> Rod's uh, shirt, his vote shirt. But again, she doesn't wear clothes because clothes aren't really crack rat shaped. Imagine a thimble with skinny arms and frog legs and a rat snout. <laughs> and you've got yourself a frack rat. <laughs> <laughs> like a child's toy that they've sewn themselves. I don't know why I picture one of the one of the um, just that shape of the bird people from like the Dark Crystal. Skeksis. The Skeksis. Let me take a look. I was never a Dark Crystal kid, so. Or I guess that maybe they're, they're uh, all, uh, counterparts. The old the old ones. Where do they are? They're just kind of like oh the and, and move like that. The humming oh, okay. old guys. Mystics. I kind of, I always picture her as having the body of like one of those dancing hamsters, but like if you were to kill her and pick her up, she'd have like long rabbit legs just come out the bottom. <laughs> but it's just like when they're alive, they're just like compact and frog-like. Yeah. Pillow-shaped, you know? 
like an egg with fur on it. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've had that little diversion and we've talked about animal clothing and things Nudity. of that nature. Bly will apologize for <laughs> shooting him. Shooting him with an arrow. He looks back down to the wound that he's currently putting pressure on. He's like, don't worry about a friend. It happens in the heat of combat sometimes. Uh, in a private telepathic communication to Bara, Lilith's going to ask, should we give him a ride because we shot him? Well, I'll go ahead and uh, mention that I know would, would my veterinary medicine would potentially help or no? No, it's uh, no. anything like a first aid or medical doctor or anything like I, that would be a I think I have some of that. I yeah, have... I've got 45 for my first aid. Me too. Can we help each other and help him? Can, let yeah. me help you help him. Yeah, let's say whoever wants to roll it can do it with a 10% because two people are helping. Why don't you roll it bonus. this time? Oh, we'll see. I don't know how high I'm rolling on the percentile tonight. That's okay. You don't want to roll high. <laughs> I got a 14. Oh, yeah. You managed to get the wound not only cleaned, but packed. And he's looking good. The two of you put your heads together. He's Her like, brains and my tiny hands. Says, well, goodness, I haven't had that kind of treatment for a while since I've been back down home. Thank you very much for taking care of me. So where are you from? Well, you know, originally, and to, to be totally transparent with y'all, I'm from Gatorland myself, so I'm way down south. Is Gatorland bad? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, some people are like, oh, they are narco-communists down there. And them crazy Bayou folks, they all know how to do the choppy, kicky, punchy fight stuff. But really, we're just happy folks. We'd like to have a good time. Party long tone. Are Anacro crackers bad? <laughs> I, I we don't just know. learned what a government was. <laughs> No, she does we, not know what anarchist means at all, let alone an anarcho-communist. Some folks just look down on us folks from Gatorland because we do things a little bit looser than the rest of the governments up north do. Now, again, to be completely honest with you folks, because you've been so nice as to save my life and whatnot, I am a member of the Gatorland uh, military, or, well, more specifically, the intelligence services but if we're getting all, uh, you know, uh, particular and like, you could technically uh, say that I'm absent without leave. That's how I would call it. You see, uh, I, I was working for the intelligence organization and my girl, Artemisia, love of my life, ended up getting into a bit of a tussle with them Empire Humanity folks. And uh, I think they got her captive somewhere. So I was told to report back for different duty. But instead, I said, you know. I think love's a little bit more important than any kind of government. And uh, that's why I've been out here looking for some of them punks to rough up and find myself some information out, see where my girl been gone to. Okay, Liblet, full disclosure, did not understand anything he was saying before he <laughs> mentioned his girlfriend got kidnapped because she, all she knows is he likes desserts and likes kicking things. That's what she gathered from the first part of his story. And now he's mad because his girl got kidnapped. So she's like, I mean... The humans can be real bad. And oh yeah, I'd want to kick things and have dessert too if I if I lost my family member. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense, but it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I gave you the precursor, so <laughs> you wouldn't think I was having a stroke. <laughs> 
I mean, at this point, if if y'all would be so kind as to um, perhaps let me tag along with you for a little bit, I, I heard reports that we had some targets in the area, and I'm trying to find some of these fellas so I can ask some personal prime questions about the location of my lady love. So you are like my family. Well, I mean, Mr. Pussycat, other than the fact that, uh, you know, I, I like the good life and everything, I'm sure I'm like a whole lot of people. I mean, that does sound like your family. Um, they like the good life, too. Not, not as much. No, they're not. They're not as fun. Oh, <laughs> you're very fun, though. So <laughs> I could see how they wouldn't be. They take things much more seriously than I do. By the way, while he's talking, he reaches into like a little gunny sack that he's got on the side of his hip and pulls out a metal spike and starts spiking through the dead flies and scooping them into the gunny sack. Ooh, dinner. Lilith already grabbed a fly or two. He says, now that's smart thinking right there. I mean, uh, you you end up getting killed or you end up being the killer. Either way, somebody going to be dinner tonight. And me, I love me some flies. Lilith just stares in the distance thinking about that whole notion. Like, you either are dinner or you're eating dinner. That's deep. That's <laughs> deeper than Lilith thinks. <laughs> talk as well so he he takes a few moments cleans off the baseball bat gets it put back into position looks around finds his gun checks it no bullets left so he just kind of tosses that to the side says wasn't really mine in the first place anyway so it's not like i gotta worry about it too much how do you know we're headed in the same direction you're headed well y'all y'all going uh northwest right that's the way you was headed is that the way we were headed yes (laughs) We were headed the way we were headed. <laughs> yeah. He points in the direction that your vehicle had been mostly pointed. He says, oh, I was going that way, too, when this whole swarm of flies ended up on me. The Blitz going to wait for Barra to decide if he can come with? Because it's not her car. Bly and Liblet both communicate telepathically, right? Yes. Yeah. Do Can they do, like, can I kind of talk to them and Arlo as a group in a mental conversation without this guy knowing not really what's his aura look like his aura concerned i go ahead and say he's welcome to go with us for a while and tell us about how his girl got nabbed and we'll see if we can help from Uh there he, he gives a little laugh. He says, well, bon chance, folks. That I have to say, I'm very, very appreciative that you're offering me a ride and everything. I'll, I'll tell you all about myself as we go along. Don't worry about that, none. Is he less concerned now that we agreed to give him a ride? Yes. Okay. Yes. He seems more satisfied. He's also very determined. Yeah, I wanted to see what kind of th- gun he threw away, so I go pick up his gun. <laughs> Shoot him. Oh, it's, it is a thirty eight revolver. Cara, do you have pistols? Do we have anything that would fit this? I have a 30 out 6. A 30 out 6 would definitely be way too big for a 38 caliber pistol. Well, I'm going to keep it just in case. Like I said, the fella that I took it from ain't using it no more, so feel free to keep it, my friend. I'm going to pack it with my dynamites. Oh, God. (laughs) I'll uh, get us all headed back to the road. All right. Well, you get back to the road. And as you're driving, Piero is very willing to talk to you about his background. He reveals that he is trained in a form of combat that most people don't really know of anymore called Muay Thai. 
Yeah, I mean, most of the time we just kick, and once you once you kick somebody one time, you just kick them a bunch more times till they end up falling down. Oh, that's good. How tall yeah. is he? He is about five feet tall, so he's a little taller than most of the party, but not that big. Most of his conversations end up going back to his girlfriend, Artemisia. That's a pretty name. He says, oh, yeah, well, I mean, names are a funny thing in Gatorland. Most people, once they finish their apprenticeship with whoever their master is, they end up getting a name. I was given my name. My original name was actually Sparky. Liblet's very fascinated by this. Yeah, but... So you have two names? Well, my, my current my current name is... Uh, it's more of like a pseudonym, I guess you would say. It started... Well, let me explain. See, we got a different government than y'all. I know y'all got like a president and everything like that. Well, down in Gatorland, we got the Gang of Fo. And the Gang of Fo is the baddest Fo people who's around. So the Gang of Fo make all the rules down there. And Gang of Fo helped teach all the different martial arts down there. Something about some kind of big tournament was happening when everything ended up going sideways. And there were so many people that knew how to fight real good down there. That was part of the reason that things ended up coming out okay. I don't know the whole story myself. Ain't got much of a mind for history. But the, the gang of four, they, they trained everybody how to fight down there. And when when some people get trained how to fight, they give them a new name once they've learned everything they could. Something like, uh, oh, I don't know. It'll usually be somebody that's involved with something like uh, paintings and whatnot. The, the Mr. Piero I was named after was a man from Itali. I don't know where that place is, but that is what I was told, is that he was from Itali. Itali. Not sure. Yeah, but Artemisia, she's something special. She actually came from a different school than me, and uh, I ended up meeting her at one of the big semi-annual tournaments we have down there. And, oh, i, I never seen such a sight in my life. Huge, lumpy-bumpy skin, seven feet tall, teeth that went on for days, snout that went on for days. Ooh-wee, I tell you what, she's the prettiest thing in the world. She sounds beautiful. Oh, well, thank Is- you. Artemisia a gator? Why, yes, she is, uh, in fact, an alligator. Yeah, and she's my one true. I know a lot of people, they look at us, they say, oh, we'll use us an opossum. She an alligator. It ain't like you can have babies or nothing. And I say, baby, it ain't about the babies or nothing. It's about the love that you have between two individuals. Lilith's going to find a way to touch him so she can, uh, if she ever meets Artemisia, she's going to touch her too. Oh, he, yeah. I mean, you can just kind of brush up against him. Oh, yeah. He is predominantly opossum. Well, I am part frog and part frack rat, or pack rat. And I don't think anyone would think those go together. But here I am. Well, there you are, little my little friend. That's absolutely right. See, the things that people think go together, sometimes they look at it, they say, that don't go together. But really, then things go together. And those people just don't know nothing. And as so, you're driving... You hit a big bump while you're heading towards the next city. You've been chit-chatting for a while going down the road. And as you're looking up ahead towards the city and the ground specifically on the road, most of the asphalt is gone now. You are running on dirt and you can see up in the distance huge gaping holes in the ground as well as like big ruts of dirt where it looks like the area has been dug up. Like somebody's trying to ruin the road? It looks like the road has been partially ruined at this point. Purposefully? 
you're not entirely certain about that. The size of the holes that are pockmarking the road, it definitely looks like if somebody had done it purposefully, it would have taken them an awful lot of time to do and an awful lot of effort. I'm still going to be on guard, though. Oh, yeah. I'll slow us down and get us through as much as I can. Okay, well, you have, you can see at this point, there's a couple of roads on the map. If you stop for a moment, there's a couple of roads on the map that seem to go around this area. This appears to have been a town once that was called Quarryville. But you can see that those roads, they go a significant distance around the town. So it's going to use up quite a bit more gasoline for you to circumvent it than to necessarily push straight through. You don't necessarily know how rough it's going to be going straight through, though. Sometimes the roads you go slow on are super dangerous. And sometimes they're just there because they're slow. That's Lilith's wisdom from the road. (laughs) Barb (laughs) pretends to understand that. (laughs) What do you guys think? We could take another path or we can see how far we can get through here. But if we can't get all the way through, we'll have to turn around and take another path anyway. Might as well just take another path. If someone's made it so that we have to go slow, then it might be because it makes it easier to attack us. Well, they made us they made us go to a different path. Yeah. So we should be on guard no matter what. Yeah. Just be on guard. Okay, it's so a, you're gonna try and circumvent it. Has yeah. Pierre heard about this area? I, I ain't heard nothing much about this place before. All I know is that the ground real ripped up. Don't look like moles and nothing like that that I've seen before. Ooh. Yeah, we'll go around. Okay. So I need you then to give me two pilot checks for your truck. Well, the first one's a 99. Okay, so as you're going on the roads that circumvent the city, at one point you hit a soft shoulder and end up sliding into a ditch and have to spend a bit of time pulling the truck back out of the ditch and getting it back up onto the road. That takes ends up taking you about a half hour to drag it back out and get it back into position. Fortunately, nothing ended up getting damaged on it. What about when I then got a ni- an 86? Uh, well, oh. at, this point, <laughs> at this point, uh, one of the tires disappears into a pothole that you couldn't see coming. It was a big thing of a freshly churned up dirt. And for just a moment, as the tire goes down, it continues to spin before you take your foot off of the gas and wisely prevent the axle from snapping. But you heard a little bit of groaning coming from the underside of the car. And once you get it back out of this pothole, there's a slight list to the left while you're driving. Just oh, that's going to drive you crazy. Just enough to really irritate you, Bara. Yeah, none of us would notice, but you will always be aware. We'll also be like, oh. Every saw she tries to get yeah, as up. you're working yeah. it out of the pothole the second time, you can see in the distance um, <laughs> there are two figures. They both start waving towards you, folks. They're both carrying rifles over their shoulders, and by the looks of it, they appear to be either uh, porcine or maybe like warthogs because they both have relatively small tusks. They're both wearing like our bright orange jackets, and they wave you down. And one of them says. Don't want to go in town over there. You're going to get yourselves in a lot of trouble if you do. What kind of trouble? Big, big, scary trouble. 
There's some kind of monster living in there. It's the biggest thing I ever done seen. If, it's, if it ain't 100 feet, it's a mile. It's ginormous. It's the big pink thing. What? 100 foot monster. Well, I mean, that might be a slight bit of exaggeration, but it's very large. What's it look like? It's, it looks like it's got ridges all over it and then a big pink band around it. Oh, my gosh. It's a giant earthworm. <laughs> it's big, pink, and scary. Um, do, you, do you know if that's what made the holes? Oh, yeah. I mean, and he actually points off into the distance and you can see it looks like something is rising out of the ground as you look off into the distance. And then you all realize it's the largest worm you've ever seen in your lives cresting out of the dirt, making a slow, gentle arc in the air, crushing a ruined portion of the building and then diving back into the dirt. Every frat rat could feed on that for their whole lives and not even eat the whole thing. <laughs> says, yeah, we, we always make sure to circumvent this city whenever we are going out hunting because that thing will eat anything in its path. Is there another way around? Well, you was on it right now. You take this road and you just keep going around and it'll get you right around the city so you don't have to worry about it. Okay. Are there any unruined buildings? Can we see any unruined buildings in the city? This place looks like it's been leveled. You see how big this worm is, and you realize that if it's been digging under all the foundations and everything, it's a small wonder that this city has actually held up as long as it has. Liglet really wants to avoid being worm food. Never good to get eaten by the things you should eat. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you all for the warning, and we'll definitely avoid, avoid that town. They both give you warm nods and then they head back up into their hunting blind that they were doing some goose hunting in. What sort of wonders and dangers lurk ahead as the group finally reaches Lancaster? Is everything on the up and up with Piero? Which one of her superiors, if any of them, is Vara going to end up following? Find out the answers to some of these questions and more on the next episode of After the Bomb, Pursuit of Knowledge. After the Bomb, Pursuit of Knowledge is a Real Play Games podcast production. After the Bomb RPG and Megaverse are copyrights and registered trademarks owned by Palladium Books and used with permission. You can find the After the Bomb role-playing game and all of Palladium Books' other fantastic RPG products at www.palladiumbooks.com. Additional thanks to Rally of the Forums of the Megaverse for additional concepts, ideas, and inspiration. Our theme song is Uplifting Ballad by the talented Alexander Nakarada and is used under extended license, which includes sync licensing. His wide range of work can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com. <laughs>